Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know you were that superstitious. No, it's just just fun. You're a little superstitious. Yeah. More schizophrenic. Me down paranoid. that hole. Yeah. Oh. Boy, oh. Yeah. What a read. I don't know. I wasn't when, expecting that. When did that. you finish? Oh, I just finished this afternoon. There's so much talk about psychology. Yeah, I couldn't help when I was reading that, but just feel like it's a schizophrenic world we kind of live in. I felt that a little bit relatable. There's just so much going on. There's something really schizophrenic about social media, right? Scrolling through TikToks or Instagram. scrolling. We do scroll. Well, not only just lots of kind of scrolling. What's in the future, but just that you go from like one, one vignette, one scene, one moment, and it's like to another one, it's totally disconnected from the previous one. And, There's some and might contradict it, might have some kind of weird evidence that, hey, you shouldn't believe that. Don't believe that. Yeah. And it's understandable that somebody might feel that way, I guess, that it's, it's all a little overwhelming. I don't know if that was Philip K. Dick's thinking there. Welcome to Life, Death, Sci-Fi. My name's Chris. I am here with a man who's glubby, don't glub, glub. Who's glubbing, don't glub, glub. glub. Eric, sorry I to associate I'm, you with the glub. The glub. I, I the think glub. I'm happy to be here. I'm, Not a glubber. I'm, I'm yeah. glubbily happy to be here. I'm glubbing around. Glub, glub. We're here to talk about The Martian Time Slip by Philip K. Dick, and he he is wow, fifth or sixth Martian book that, that we've read for this, and we're going in historical order. Do we know when Martian Time Slip was written? I think it was published or, in 1964. 64. Yeah. Yeah, so the last one was maybe 40s. Yeah, 40s Martian so Chronicles. So. What was that? Probably about 15... Not quite 15 years before that, maybe that was written. Maybe earlier than that. All of these books so far have used Mars as a stage backdrop. Think I'm sitting in a theater between scenes, the backdrops roll up and down. It feels the same way here to me because it's not real. People can't just walk on the surface of Mars without dying almost instantly. Mm. But they're walking around, they have communities, building houses, doing things like, I. Oh, yeah. we can tell it's a different planet because of, it seems a little harsher, it maybe has a little bit of a different color. One of the things that we look at here at Life Test Sci-Fi is world building. I don't think in these first novels about Mars, there's been very much world building because they're too interested in their own story. And they don't have enough science, I think, to put the real Martian world in their story. I don't know. It feels like that to me. Yeah, I feel the same way, I think, with you. I was trying to think of Martian Chronicles quite followed that. Maybe it breaks away a little bit here or there. But I, I, you're totally right. It, it seems like Mars just becomes a different backdrop or a stage to talk about issues of Earth. And which is interesting, but I guess maybe not as foreign or alien as I'm craving, right? Yes. I think Philip K. Dick did a pretty good job with the, the characters of the Martians. I felt like they were alien. Like I felt in Ray Bradbury's Martian Chronicles, I really felt that the aliens were 
very alien there, especially in the first chapters. What was the alien-ish? For Martian time slip, okay, there were helicopters going to repair some of the machinery on the planet. Now, these guys are, I think this is smart of Philip K. Dick because they have to fix their own stuff because they're on Mars. They can't just call Earth. Fixing things is really important. And this story is about one of those guys who repairs stuff. They get around the planet by helicopter. They don't have highways, so helicopter. And the satellites overhead saw a small group of Martians. All aircraft is diverted to help people who are like this who are in need. And these guys were in need. One of the protagonists of the story, this is actually where the two guys meet. Arnie and Jack represent big themes in this story. They have to land their separate helicopters to help because they have to help these these people or they'll be fined heavily. The one guy doesn't really want to stop his helicopter. The other guy does. They both help the people, but one doesn't even get out of the helicopter. He just says, here's the water. And the other guy does go and gives him the food and water, and they give him something in return. And that was the water witch. I thought that was very alien. It's not technological, but it's magical. The water witch will get you water if you need it. The water will come to you. I just felt like there was a portrayal here of the indigenous population that seemed like they were they're actually compared explicitly to the Bushmen, African Bushmen, at some point. And the, the N-word is used to refer to them frequently. I saw that as more of a, almost like portrayed as a voodoo doll kind of thing. I didn't feel like it was so alien, although interesting. It just dawned on me, too, that I felt like that should have come back into play a little bit. Big disappointment for me. I was waiting for Manfred and the Water Witch and Jack and Arnie were all going to get connected in the time cave and things were really going to get hot. Yeah, yeah. I felt like that was left. We were left. Yeah, what was the point of that, I think, then, ultimately? There's magic in the world. Yeah. I guess I was glad. I felt like there was a lot of foreshadowing there. I felt like they would end up... Oh, and yeah, spoilers. There will be spoilers. That they would end up in this, I guess, this Dirty Nobby. (laughs) Is that the name of it? The Time Cave? Pretty sure it's called Dirty dirty Nobby. Oh, the Time Cave. Yeah, Dirty dirty Nobby. yeah, weird. That's a shrine. That was interesting. I thought that the that's Martian time slip, and you have these kind of slips of time. And I didn't know what to make of the title originally and when I first read it. That was interesting. I think he could have gone further with that, some kind of playing with time. That was fascinating to me. I was more interested in that. Yes, yes, in Hyperion, written by, who was that written by? Written by shoot yeah i was spacing out what was his name tip my tongue simmons dan simmons yes hyperion had a time cave and they played with it too and i was taken back to that when we entered the time cave here but it was i like you said i don't think it was philip k dick's purpose to mess with time so much as to mess with your mind I think I wouldn't be so surprised if the time slippage was just all in your mind. 
Yeah, that wasn't entirely clear to me. I don't know if it was meant to be. Philip K. Dick, obviously a pretty prolific, successful writer. Uh, it's hard not to think. I didn't, I didn't look on his history of his sort of chronology of writing, what order this book when this was published in comparison to his other works, it feels a little early to me. Yeah. But I, it's hard to imagine that wasn't purposeful, that it wasn't meant to be a bit mind-bending. I guess a lot of his work tends to be. So I didn't mind, I enjoyed, I guess, the end and this idea that it became a little less clear which time we were in. I like the idea of Manfred returning as an yes. old version like of himself. Yeah. Yes. An older version of himself. I'm reminded of the Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, uh, who was the boy who was crippled? Oh, so bad, yeah. You're a Thrones fan too. I've watched it all, yeah, several times. Uh... <laughs> but anyway, he was also unstuck in time, similarly to, I think, this character. Yeah. Yeah, unstuck in time. Now you use that phrase. That's a Vonnegut phrase. Yes. yes. So yeah. yeah. So I was. And, well, I you was, know, and I, I didn't even think of this. And I, I, like I said, I just finished it this afternoon. But he speaks at the end, right? Yes, he speaks. Yeah. Hi, how you doing? I'm here. Right. Seemed a little happy. I don't know. It's like he finally got. Uh, he finally caught up with time, or found his time place in time yeah time caught up in, with in, him. but in a way that he was like disembodied and just just all that was left of him was is there was on life support just his mind and then yeah. finally he was it, it come full circle back to where he was born and was ready at, to say goodbye that was at one point i he was communicating something and he said that his greatest fear would be to be put back in the hospital and then just and then they would uh, just keep him alive by any means possible and that's exactly what happened to him in the, at the end and i i think that me i'm especially interested in time travel and all of that kind of stuff and i thought that philip dick just missed some opportunities that he could have really played around with with this a lot more i so we've got time here and we've got psychology or psychosis mixing up with time. And then we have actually a time cave that amplifies this. This is where I really like the reading. As he blended these all together, his characters started moving in and out too, especially Jack and his girlfriend. Right. I forgot her name. Doreen? Doreen. Yeah, Jack and Doreen were experiencing side effects from having been around Manfred. I thought that was well-written and interesting because time changed a little bit, and I could see where that, that was going. But in the end, nothing really did happen. Something happened to Arnie, but that probably would have happened anyway. In the end, they're just wandering around trying to find the next-door neighbor's mother from next door. And I thought oh, where are all these loose ends that you could tie up for us? Yeah, maybe it's an early novel or something. It just wasn't quite as tightly written. Yeah. Maybe. A, a uh, different, it's almost like a short story got stretched out a little bit. Manfred somehow can see the future, and that's the gold, right? If they get close to him, the closer they get to him, 
the stranger things start to happen around them. And I don't know. I just realized I totally said that wrong in the opening. It's so funny. The gubble. Gubble. Yeah, gubble. It's the gubble, probably. But I, I said glubby. And it's funny because my the glubby, I knew as I was saying that, I was like, that's not right. Glubby is fish character that my daughter invented. Maybe I'll throw that in the show notes or something. She does these drawings of a character she made up called Glubby. And I mixed up the gubble with Glubby there. Anyway, what, yeah, what did you make of, and you said, I hope I'm not, I guess we can always edit, but what you mentioned, you had a nightmare. And when I got to the gubble, I found it pretty nightmarish and, and it like really dipped into horror where, I thought so too. Uh, yeah, yeah. There were some really horrifying descriptions. It doesn't, yeah, it didn't matter if you were on Mars or wherever. Manfred is like looking at almost everyone decomposing in front of him. There's all this imagery, like visual, auditory. You know, it's very kinesthetic, maybe olfactory time kind of imagery that that makes you feel like it's all those fingernails on a chalkboard, cringy kind of things. It almost reminded me of, like, as a kid, I was so horrified by that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, and when, the, uh, uh, when the face melts, yeah, that no- yes. Nazi dude's face, he opens the chest. And that was just, that just terrified me for years. <laughs> but it was that kind of vision for me, the story and how horrifying. And I, I guess my question I had with that, it's obviously horrifying, but what do you, what do you think was the intent there? Like what was Dick trying to make us oh okay so something i don't know so you've got this idea of a time slip or somebody that can see the future how far in the future can you see if you can see so far into the future of course you're going to see a decomposing things you're going to see the end of a the shopping mall that i shopped in when i was a kid is no longer there it's not a shopping mall anymore hmm. it's it's gone so i th- i think that time traveling that they were doing was he was just moving so fast in the present that these things popped up around him that he could see flashes of. You could see flashes of himself in the future too, right. in that chair and all of hooked up to all of those machines and all but, of, that's ho- horrifying too. So you're asking what was the purpose of all of that? Yeah, to, yeah. To show us that even if you look into the future, you refuse to really see those things because they're not the pretty things that you want to see, but that happens to all of us. And then when you can't look away, it's horrifying. I think that the time travel psychosis mixed up. I was wondering if we were meant to, are we meant to feel something for Manfred, right? Because he's, is he suffering through these visions? The fact that it comes back to him at the end, he seems to be increasingly significant. He can't say he's a... The a prophet of sorts? Do we feel for this kid? He comes back as a dying, I guess, man at the end. He goes off well, with the bleak men who are yes. special and spiritual, like what? Yes. Through a cave, which is a sort of threshold, rebirth kind of thing. What's, yeah. Like you said, he took off with the bleak men. And all along, even though he was born to two human parents, he was born to two human parents on Mars and he's a Martian. This is, I think, showing the transition between Earth people and Martians. You can't live on Mars without becoming a Martian. 
the uh, Martian okay. Chronicles proved that to us. And so all of these kids, they're in that hospital. They are special. They are anomalies. They're Martians, and they see mm. the world in a Martian way. To humans, that looks like psychosis. Okay. And yeah. why, to a Martian, it just looks like Mars. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. I like that. Yeah. The racism in this story I'm having trouble with. I think he could have had the same story without that being there. Yeah, I think so too. It's 1964. It seems, I guess, a little late for that being so prominent, though not that that was... Yeah, it's tough with some of these. Like, a, yeah, a little cringy at times, I think. And there's some sexist, quite a bit of... Yeah, there is a lot a of that. There's too. some. It's also mostly from Arnie Knott, this old character. But I was just trying to think of the old man's name in A Stranger in a Strange Land, who's... He- I almost had it. Heinlein's uh, Valentine. Started, I thought it started with H. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Har... Ooh, you almost have it. Har... Harlan, not Harlan. What is it? Harshaw. Harshaw, good for you. Yeah. It is. It's, there's a lot of Harshaw vibes here, right? For oh, sure. He's a little more, a little more active. I'll tell you this. I, in so a lot of ways, I enjoyed the character just because I feel like I've met people like that. Just the, the can't sit still, got to be doing something. All right, we're doing it. We're going. This kind of, he's very action oriented, full of himself. Lucky and, to and be I alive feel- because he makes mistakes that could harm others in, or himself. Yeah, but I felt like there was a lot of, not that he was a complex character, but I don't know. He's not round either. He's a flat character, but he's he's full of energy. Let's say that. Sexist, old man, sexist, goes off to Mars and he becomes a kind of a big fish, small pond type. And I guess that drives a lot of the action. I think plot wise, it was interesting how you had... Like you were saying earlier, these multiple storylines that sort of come together, and he certainly drives much of that. It's just a rather, I don't know, I guess it, it seems an appropriate ending for him to be, spoiler, killed by somebody he's done wrong to. <sighs> Would he have done that? That was like, is the replacement sort of black market supplier, right? So he, his black market supplier, I thought that was fun, the black market stuff. There could be some cool fan fiction there. But the black Ah. market supplier dies, commits suicide, which is interesting. That triggers this inciting incident. And then then he he decides to kill his, he decides to destroy the replacement's cash. I don't know. He saw that as a business opportunity. And I think Philip K. Dick set him up as one of these opportunistic guys who would say, hey, we can do this too. We can do the black market stuff and then right. we won't have to pay the markup. They got into it, but then they found out that the guy who committed suicide had a partner. And then that's when they went after him ruthlessly, never saying anything to the person, just like wiping him out. And that, that was pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting that it's a 
person of color that he is a person of color who ends up killing him who's sleeping with jack boland's wife i thought that was yeah yeah that's true not there's much to to make of that but notable i thought another great fan fiction here would be like you need like the real housewives of mars there was that yes seemingly funny scene where they were just talking about their affairs lots of affairs on mars for a small small encampment it seems or city and then his ex-wife would be in in that too she was still friendly with him owned business with him and they consulted each other on things that they were doing yeah was, yeah she was an interesting character so the housewives thing i think it's perfect yeah perfect fan fiction <laughs> hey what did you think of the school like the public school with oh, the Mark yes. Twain teaching machine and all that. Yes. At that same time, I'm worried about Jack, who it brought Manfred there, and he's running around. That and was an intense. That was an intense scene, right? I, I yeah, could, I thought that would play really well in a some sort of Netflix episode yes. or something. Yes, yeah. and we won't talk about Sandman, but yes. Oh was, yeah, I haven't got there yet. <sighs> yeah, Neil you Gaiman. Watching? Is that out? That's that out. Yeah, it is. Okay. Netflix. So the school where Jack took Manfred and he had to fix one of the broken teaching machines. And then you discover that the teaching machines are really robots that look like people. They all have a different personality that shapes, that's supposed to shape young people's attitudes and minds, I guess like the grouchy janitor, the stately visitor, maybe it was it like a Mark Twain character, then yeah. the counselor, they had the administrator, they had so many of these that as Jack was visiting them, he was freaking out. The kindly dad. That was what yeah. I was trying to get. Yeah, the kindly dad. Yes, little Jackie, kindly dad said, it has to be. Right. <laughs> what is some sort of, yeah, psychological, some sort of things that Philip K. Dick was trying to sort through <laughs> as he was working it's through this kinda, book? Sounds like it. But that was, yeah, that was a very intense scene. And because I used to be a teacher, of course, I was interested in what it would look like on Mars. As a teacher then, would you say, is that a strange, idealized vision of the way teaching should work. You just have these certain types that could appeal. Well, oh, I was going to say certain types that appealed to everybody, but there was a moment there where they talked about how these, unlike humans, these robots could adjust themselves for each student and change their affect and their man. And just, I thought there's a certain differentiation there that I thought so too. And then I thought, Oh, okay. Philip Dick does not know how to teach kids. Yeah. Change for each child subtly. Yeah. So Um, yes, we all do that. So the pros, yeah, read those the, the teaching machines, right? So the pros, they get one thousand pupils, no confusion, no no name forgetting. They could change for each child subtly. The cons, they link to inherited culture or the peddling of that culture. So there wasn't it bent the pupils for it. So it was very much less about things emerging organically and changes, but rather we're going to make sure you get this culture from earth and we're going to yeah make you bend to that in some way 
Yes, it was definitely, uh, you will do what you're told kind of situation. I think that didn't quite connect for me either. What was the, so what's Dick saying in regard to the role of schools? And is it a big government thing? Did they, are they a monoculture? What role, how did that tie in with Manfred? Because they go back to the school at the end and that triggers this schizophrenic episode for Jack Bolin. That's Um, the Actually, that's the scene that I was talking about yeah, when they go yeah, back exactly. at the end. Yeah, yeah that's uh, the, cli- the climax, right? No, not quite. It's rising toward that. But it, that didn't. I guess I'm not quite clear on what Dick was saying there in regard to taking us back there in that moment. Yes. What was he doing? I think we're meant How? to feel sympathetic to the indigenous population there, right? That is, is the overall, not that there has to be one, but is the overall sort of message here or takeaway that we shouldn't be, and this is recurring, right? In our Martian exploration, we shouldn't be recreating Earth on Mars. Is that it? And that's got to be part of it. Maybe that wasn't his intention when he wrote this, but it, it certainly comes out that it's just like being an expat in a living in a different country. The first time I did that was in Thailand, and I wanted to change Thailand in my world to be like more like the United States, what I was used to. But there's no way that was ever going to happen. And it took me a while to figure that out. And then once I did, it really made things a lot happier and nicer. I could experience a new culture instead of trying to change that culture into my own. Yeah. You can't go to a planet and expect it to be Earth. Right. Maybe it's not right to have bacon and eggs and coffee every morning. I feel like that came up quite a bit. There was a lot of coffee, bacon and eggs. You'd have to be eating something else. No, that's, that's not the way we know Mars is now. That wouldn't happen. You're not going to carry eggs and bacon to Mars. You can, it's going to be something else that's more cost effective. Yeah, certainly not. I think we both watched that series based on Philip K. Dick's work, right? Electric Dreams. Does this come up at the all in there? I, I couldn't remember. What? The, the in the story? Yeah. Is there anything with Martian time? So I read that there were there was a few attempts at making a film version of it. I think that there's a world in which and I just love the TV landscape these days, right? There's so many interesting series or one-offs. Like, is there a way in which this works for some limited series, maybe? Or I think you'd have to change it a lot because once you get the psychosis and the time slipping and the characters mixed up together on Mars, I think it'd be very difficult. But... Uh, a lot of the movies that are coming out now are very difficult to make, but the, when you have such amazing CG and film editing, can do almost anything. Yeah, you wonder who, maybe this is something we could do in the podcast here. Who's Which director would you want to right. interpret this, right? David Finch. Yeah. <laughs> who directed Total Recall? Oh, it's got a total yeah, recall feel. Precogs, precogs, yeah. And right, well, and the precog thing too. He, right, that's minority. Yeah. That's, that's minority. No. 
Minority yeah. Report. Yeah. The world building to me feels like Total Recall. But you're right. Uh, I was thinking precogs as I was reading this as well. There was a moment, a seed of an idea there that maybe came out later because that's based so. on a Phil K. Dick novel too, right? Yeah, I read a few weeks ago before I started this, I read, so I had to have a hard copy of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Oh, the Blade Runner. Yeah. The one that Blade Runner is based on. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, more than this one, I think. Which made me wonder, I, I got to go back. I didn't get into the Philip K. Dick research. And I guess I don't feel too guilty for that, knowing that there's probably more Philip K. Dick in our future here with life, death, sci-fi. They did say that he's very interested in the the mental, psychedelic, psychedelic aspects of the mind and where that can take us. What are we thinking next on our list? Or anything left? I think we've got to do our little cocktail party, end of the podcast, debrief. I'm just going to come out and straight up ask you, would you go into the time cave? Yeah, Dirty Nobby? Would I go to Dirty Nobby? Dirty dirty Nobby, yeah. Yeah. Would you go in? First of all, I think Dirty Nobby should be a tavern. Or a pub. Okay. Yeah. Would, would I go to the Dirty Nobby pub? <laughs> you know, like in, you can uh, go in, you can have a great yeah. night and come out. Yeah. Kids have to be gone by 6 p.m. in the Dirty Nobby pub on the FDR mountains. I think I wouldn't be able to resist going in, and I'd probably hate myself for it. And nobody really wants to <laughs> see their future or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Now, see, I, I would go up in a rocket. I would go up in a rocket and fly around the Earth and visit the space station, do all that stuff. I'm not sure about a time cave. I don't know. Time machine? Is that different? I don't know. There's more control of the time machine. He takes some sort of trance-inducing medicine. I think for sleep deprivation or sleep, strong with sleep. Okay. Can't remember yeah. the name of it. Oh, yeah. But he does That's take, right. That's right. So it's not a, it's not clear whether it's just a, a bad trip or he actually goes anywhere. Although Manfred showing up at the end suggests that there's some time travel here. Or for yes. all we know, Jack Boland's just out of his mind and they all are, right? Maybe, maybe it's just be. some bad canal water i like that they were living on the canal See, that was they cool. sell that at the tavern yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah thirsty canal thursdays or something i don't know oh um, canal awesome. special yeah <laughs> oh uh, my god the title for the episode there yeah thirsty canal thursdays thirsty canal uh, thursday i've got thirsty in my notes too that's what this whole story did to me made me thirsty just for our reader's sake the next one on the list we're going chronological order here is desolation road by ian mcdonald 